Hello and a big one welcome to you. My name is Marion Rose and in this podcast I'm going to talk about the genesis of repression mechanisms. And when I say repression mechanisms I'm using that very generally to mean ways that babies and children learn to repress feelings or to dissociate from feelings. So really I'm coming from, particularly from an aware parenting perspective, which was developed by Elisa Salter, PhD. You can find out more about her work at awareparenting.com. And if you want to learn more about my work, my website's at marianrose.net. So feelings. (laughs) So I'd love to start off to say that the way I see it, and so some of these things I'm going to be sharing are directly from aware parenting, and some of them are more from my paradigm of parenting, which I'm a level two aware parenting instructor, so I'm passionate about aware parenting, but I also have my own paradigm, which is called psycho-spiritual parenting. So I will aim to, to differentiate which is which. So from my um, way of seeing it, there are three types of feelings. So the two types of feelings that babies come into the world with the capacity to feel, and this is congruent with aware parenting, is feelings that indicate an unmet need and feelings that are expressing experiences, feelings based on experiences. So often this differentiation isn't made in our culture. Often um, a lot of paradigms see that babies and children only have one reason for uncomfortable feelings, for crying, for raging, and that's to indicate an unmet need. So from a aware parenting perspective, there are these two reasons. So of course it's really, really important and helpful to differentiate these two and to add this third one because depending on the type of feeling our response differs and this is also relevant to us as adults too. I have found it one of the most helpful things to be able to differentiate which type of feeling I'm experiencing. It's made a profound difference in my life because depending on the type of feeling there's a the most apt response is different. So let's talk about the three types of feelings. The first type are needs feelings so needs feelings are these amazing things our bodies have feelings that arise really as like lights on your dashboard they're really to indicate as a light would indicate if your petrol's empty or your engine's overheating really important to have those kinds of signals isn't it so right from birth and I would say in utero babies are feeling feelings in response to needs so they're really signaling I'm hungry I need connection I'm cold I'm warm I'm overwhelmed you know really signaling to needs I need closeness I need food I need touch I need to be held I need um, more quiet all of these kinds of things So, of course, the most wonderful thing, and of course, we have these feelings too, based on unmet needs. And the most apt thing, if we are a parent, is to be able to understand when our baby or child is signalling this kind of a feeling. And to, to go in and meet the need, of course, that's the most helpful thing, isn't it? Because that's what the feeling is indicating. Here, there's an unmet need. So, of course... 
the most um, helpful and attuned response from us is to to go and be close to to find out what the need is and to meet that need as promptly and as attunedly and accurately as possible and I would say that's the same for us and so in my work you'll often see that when I talk about babies and children I also talk about us as adults and vice versa because I think seeing the similarities can be so helpful so of course for us we may feel lonely if we're needing connection we may feel sad if we're needing empathy we may feel frustrated if we're needing choice so really understanding that can make a huge difference ah this is what i need or this is what my baby or child needs so that's the first type of feeling the second type of feelings are feelings that either come about because there's been an unmet need going on for some time so for example if a baby has been needing closeness for a long time that might have been all night or they've perhaps been calling out and and no one's responded or it's taken a while for that response to come then when we go to meet that need that feeling in the present goes away so that that present need for connection is being met now but those feelings that they experienced for that time there wasn't connection are still there so those are feelings that need to be expressed and again if you think about it from our perspective it can really help putting ourselves in in their shoes or actually to think about how we feel you know you may have been um feeling very lonely you might even remember this as a child really longing for some closeness or longing to be heard and the need might then eventually get met or it may not even get met and then there are feelings in response to that there may be grief or loss or fear or sadness or overwhelm so those feelings do not go away once the need is met those feelings that were there for that time that need wasn't met are still there and those are feelings that need to be expressed that they don't go away once the need is met but this second type of feelings are more than just feelings from unmet needs over time they are also real feelings that babies feel in utero so there's plenty of research that shows now that babies are they have real feelings even while they're in the womb and they're deeply affected by what happens to them in the womb and this isn't by the way to add an extra layer of guilt or worry if you're a mother and perhaps you were stressed or things like that because the wonderful thing about this approach is as i'm going to be sharing we can it's never too late to listen to those feelings so that's one source of feelings that they again they have real feelings they feel real feelings like we do not just feelings from needs that first type that's beautiful important uh, reason for feelings but there's this second type too so for babies that can also be the birth experience so again if that was overwhelming in any way if there was stress or fear around the birth if they had um, forceps or one twos if there was separation after the birth um, even if there was sudden bright lights and lots of noise and and 
being touched in even slightly rough ways, babies will have real feelings about that, real feelings in response to those experiences. But as I talked about in my last podcast, I love the work of uh, Stan Groff, Stanislav Groff, who's been a really a pioneer in the um, humanistic and transpersonal psychology movement. And his work has really shown the impact of birth and how much babies do feel during birth, even if it's a beautiful, peaceful experience. And again, to really normalize this, that uh, in our culture, I think we see feelings. There's so much fear around feelings. There's so much um, judgment of feelings. And I'm really passionate about reclaiming the beauty of all feelings. And particularly the more we can welcome them and feel comfortable with them and see the, the gift in them. I think we're part of this new um, cultural revolution of really seeing feelings in a very different way. So there's birth experiences and then there's experiences after birth. So particularly in the first a few months, babies are particularly um, likely to feel uncomfortable feelings. Uh, for example, overwhelm is a very common feeling or overstimulation in a baby. Uh, and again, even if we do everything we can to to for the first few weeks and months to be you know, muted light and quiet sounds and carrying them as much as possible, lots of close contact, lots of prompt responsiveness to their needs, uh, including for for closeness, for touch, hunger, all of those things. When they're too warm, too cold, but that it's inevitable that all babies, particularly in this modern world, will experience overwhelm at times. It is simply living in this modern world. It's it's. Um, it's almost inevitable that they're going to experience that. And what I love is Aletha Salter's um, definition of overwhelm for babies, which is anything they don't understand. And again, if you know anything about developmental psychology, and I'm so grateful for my background in that, is to really understand that the baby, so much of what they're experiencing is... Um, they don't have concepts yet. They don't have concepts to go, oh, yes, well, I'm going in the car seat now and we're going somewhere or uh, mum or dad are going to be back in a little while. They've just gone to the other room or, uh, oh, that's the phone ringing or, oh, mum's a bit stressed or dad's a bit stressed today. That's why they're not responding in the usual way and that's why their face is looking like that or, oh, my big brother's feeling upset that I'm here and that's why they they knocked into me in that way. They the, the younger a baby is, the less they have concepts. And so they're really just experiencing everything and without really understanding it. And they, they learn so quickly. They're amazing. You know, babies, even a newborn, um, are learning and even neutro, they're learning so much. Um, but, you know, there's so much that they don't understand, which if you think about even just being... If you were to look around you, wherever you are now, unless you're perhaps outside and looking at trees, <laughs> but if you're sitting in your room or in your car or in a shop or anything like that, and you look around and actually put yourself in the perspective of baby you for a moment, or your your child's baby you, or a baby, and particularly a new baby, and look around and see all the colours and movement and sounds and to really know 
and I'm talking a lot about this, but to really know that it's really normal and natural for babies to feel overwhelmed. And yes, they're amazing. They will let us know if they're overwhelmed. Um, I also remember one thing my daughter used to do when she was a baby. It's 17 years ago now that um, I would carry her in a sling when we were out and about, which is one thing I, I recommend if you have a baby and you're wanting to protect them from overwhelm and overstimulation. Is a sling can help because, or a carrier, means that if they are feeling overwhelmed, they can actually you know, get their face in, snuggle up, um, protect themselves from overwhelm. And she would often go to sleep if we were out and about and it was a little bit noisy or that kind of thing. So she'd either snuggle up in the carrier or go to sleep. So, you know, babies are amazing at, at protecting themselves. And the more we listen to those cues and the more we you know, have a quiet time as much as possible in those first few months. Those are all wonderful things to know it's inevitable that they're still going to feel overwhelmed, um, confused at times. So what other things, what other feelings in this second category? We're still talking about the second category of feelings now. Um, and, you know, even if your child's older or you work with children that are older, really remembering that many children don't get to express these feelings when they're younger. So these feelings are still sit in their bodies if they haven't been expressed. So other feelings, um, developmental frustrations, really normal and natural for all babies and children to experience frustration when they're on the cusp of a new developmental leap. And again, I'm sure you, um, if you've been around babies or children, if you have one or more yourself you'll have seen that you know if they're particularly if they're trying to crawl or they're trying to speak sometimes that can be very frustrating and I tend to see that frustration is an important part of the learning process not that we d deliberately you know lead more frustration of course we're doing everything we can to facilitate that learning but the frustration is part of that um that desire it's that it's that um, meeting point between the desire to be able to do that thing and then not yet being able to do it and often actually feeling that frustration is part of that, that motivation that I really want to do this so again that's not something we can protect our children from feeling developmental frustration and it's another type of that second type of feeling other things are just family stresses. So if we're stressed, if we are, um, you know, if we've got all kinds of our own stresses going on for the same kinds of reasons, but it could be financial, it could be time, it could be all the reasons that we're feeling agitated or um, frustrated or sad or overwhelmed, that also has an impact on our babies and children. Again, this isn't about self-judgment, this is about self-compassion, but just understanding why babies and children naturally do have so many feelings and also there's frightening events which again for a baby can be really just the phone ringing and they're not understanding where that sudden noise comes from a vacuum cleaner going in the car um, dog barking um, for children it can also be or us us suddenly reacting with a loud voice there's so many things that can be frightening for babies and children for children it can be you know watching things in in the media that um there's so much in the media i see even you know movies that are designed for children i'm often so deeply shocked seeing um 
movies that are designed and marketed for children, even very young children, which contain really scary things. And to, to really, I think, often the media and the movie industry really doesn't understand any of these things that, that children often can feel quite scared when they see things in movies and even children's programmes. So that's another reason. Let me see if I've remembered everything. So this is, a, again, a beautiful list from Aletha Sultan. So grateful to her work and aware parenting. Just to really understand how normal and natural it is, even if we do everything we can to meet a baby and child's needs for attachment, all their attachment needs, um, empathy, excuse me, choice, that's inevitable. They're going to feel painful feelings. Um, plenty more, I'm sure you can think of more yourself. So those feelings are all real feelings. And the response to those feelings, of course, are going to be different to the first type. Because, of course, um, if we meet the second type as we meet the first type to try and meet the need, what happens is those feelings don't get to be heard. And I imagine if you could maybe remember that for yourself maybe um you're feeling upset and you have a partner or a friend who comes in and says uh yeah let me fix it for you and have you ever had a time where you where you want to say i don't want you to fix it for me i just want you to listen to me <laughs> have you ever had that experience so really understanding that babies and children have that same need to simply be heard that their experience their experience, their feelings are valid and normal and healthy and that we have the capacity to listen to those feelings. And of course that can be a, a tricky thing, um, especially if we're new to this approach and to understand the difference between those two things because of course we want to differentiate the two types of feelings. We want to make sure uh, that when we're listening to feelings that the needs have been met and also when we're attempting to meet needs that actually we're not distracting them with feelings and they've actually got feelings to tell us and we're we're never going to get it 100 percent accurately the beautiful thing is um you know just doing whatever we can and being compassionate with ourselves and knowing that we can always repair and our children will give us repeated opportunities to um to repair or to heal from the times where we've we haven't got it accurately so it's this second type that I'm going to really talk about more in terms of the genesis of repression mechanisms and even addiction. Um, but I do want to talk briefly about the third type because this type uh, is not so relevant for, I mean, it's not relevant at all for babies really generally um, because these are the feelings that come from thinking, ways of thinking. So they're feelings that, that originate in particular ways of thinking. And I tend to think of it as particularly cultural ways of thinking in, in our Western culture. So these, of course, because they're from thinking, they're not inherent feelings that a baby feels, those two types. They're feelings that a baby or a child starts to experience once they've learned these ways of thinking. So in our culture, which isn't the same in all cultures, there are cultures in the world that don't have these ways of thinking. These ways include ideas of guilt, of wrongness, of shame, of badness, of punishment. You get the gist. 
So those all originate from um, particular ways of thinking about human beings. And so these become more and more common as, as children get older and they internalise these ways of thinking. Don't exist in, in new babies. But of course in adults it's a really helpful thing to understand that um, I find this so important because I trained for many years and worked for many years as a psychotherapist and I know all about feelings but I didn't they had nothing about this they didn't teach us about how which uh, feelings are caused by caused by thoughts it was really only through learning nonviolent communication that I learned this part and really developed my understanding of it so of course for an adult um, and I give you an example I used to have this recurring thought when I was training as a psychotherapist actually which was I'm so wounded I'm so wounded I used to tell myself over and over and I would cry and I would cry and I would cry and I thought that was really healing I was like oh I'm crying so much this is wonderful but when I look back on it now I was simply telling myself a really painful thought and crying in response so in terms of adults that type of um, we can have those thoughts over and over again we could in terms of guilt that's why I'm passionate about helping mothers get free from guilt because guilt is entirely um, based on cultural beliefs and thoughts around particularly around shoulds shoulds to coerce ourselves shoulds to punish ourselves and we can absolutely get free from guilt and replace it with willingness and compassion instead it's a key part of my work so uh, where was I going with that so uh, well think about it in terms of guilt you could you could guilt yourself you could pick up those guilt sticks and guilt yourself for every single waking hour of your life and cry for every single waking hour around the guilt or the self-judgment and that isn't actually healing because it's like the way I see it, it's like two children in the park, one's hitting the other one with sticks continuously. And we might be listening to the child that's being hit. If we're not preventing the stick hitting, that's, you know, it's actually not um, looking at the source of those feelings. So for the third type of feelings, the most helpful thing is to actually change the ways of thinking. So, so then actually get rid of the pain through changing the thinking get rid of the painful feelings so of course that's a very different response which is why understanding which type of feeling you're feeling is really helpful and particularly understanding which type of feeling your baby or child is feeling very helpful again knowing that the younger a baby is the more it's just those first two the more children grow up in this culture the more they start to internalize that third part third type Okay, so that was some. Um, that was the three types of feelings. Next, let's talk about repression and dissociation. So, if we, for example, tend to believe that all babies and children perhaps only have the first type of feeling, that all feelings indicate an immediate need. So, if we have that belief, then any time a baby or a child is upset, we are going to do everything possible to stop the upset and. Um, thus believing that if they're no longer upset we've met the need but if you think about it if the child has it's not that they have any unmet needs but they actually are trying to sh to share some feelings with us just like we might with the partner or the friend remember we, how we talked about it and we try to distract them 
well we're not trying to distract them but we're trying to do something that we believe is is stopping that unmet need so we may um, give them food we may move them around we may say look at the birdie look 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 or you don't need to cry shush 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 all of those things that what happens is those are real feelings they're real physiologic things in their bodies and what happens is when we distract them from those feelings or we do things to them thinking it's going to meet their need they need that they they pick up from us they're learning from us all the time they're basically learning babies and children learn from us right from in utero core beliefs about the world about language um, based in languages core beliefs around what it is to be a human being on the planet uh, and how we respond to their needs and feelings particularly fundamentally affects how they perceive their needs and their feelings and their behaviors so and again that's what i loved about this my background in developmental psychology and studying newborn babies is seeing that they are learning right well as i say from in utero so they're learning from us they're watching every nuance of our posture our tone uh you know everything about our emotional body they are taking that in and learning from it so if we believe that all feelings indicate unmet needs for example and any time our baby or child is upset we do anything we can to stop those feelings they will they very quickly learn from us oh okay so um this what they generally learn i think is that this feeling indicates an unmet need or when i feel upset i need to do this thing to stop the feelings or it can sometimes when they're a bit older this this part of me isn't welcome or these feelings are bad and again depending on the response because of course other parents and other parenting paradigms are, are not so compassionate to feelings some some older fashioned parenting paradigms might be if the child's having a tantrum or crying seeing the child as manipulating or in inverted commas or um misbehavior in inverted commas so really these old-fashioned cultural ideas of badness and wrongness and all of that stuff which again children will internalize and based on our response to their feelings they will either learn ways of responding to those feelings so they will directly learn them so for example if and these these get passed down so here's an example say if in your family um, sadness is generally um, interpreted as hunger so when you were sad when you were a baby or a child you were fed so you would then interpret the sensations that you feel when you feel sad you you will have learned to interpret that as hunger so when your baby or child is upset for that second reason, they've got feelings to tell you, they, you may well also interpret that, oh my goodness, my child is hungry, I need to feed them. And so they will learn that same response. Ah, oh, okay, when I have this particular sensation in my body, this means I am hungry, so I'll go and eat. Which I think is to really understand it at that deep level is to help us know if any of you, which many of us do in our culture, this is a really common um, linkage um, between upset feelings and eating food is why it can be so hard if you do eat food to repress feelings how hard it can be to 
to unlearn that and start to really feel into your body and to know what the difference is between the sensation of hunger and the sensation of painful feelings. So I remember for myself, it took, it took me a long time. I also had tiredness in there as well. So, you know, again, if when we were, when we were tired and often when we're tired, we, we want to let feelings out of the day so that we can feel calm enough to, to, um, to sleep. So often um, if we were um, fed just before bed, not always, but sometimes then we will connect tiredness, the experience of tiredness with hunger. So I remember it took me years to really understand because every time I got tired, I'd want to eat. And I was like, it really took me a long time to realise, do you know what? I'm actually not hungry. This is actually tiredness. And often this is also some upset feelings that are bubbling up so that I can let them out so I can sleep calmly. So I think this is why it can take quite a while to differentiate out these feelings when we are wanting to heal from and release our own oppression mechanisms. So these things often do get passed down in families, as I said. So our babies and children can directly learn these repression mechanisms from us. So it can be like that direct passing down. So it may also be that if our child or baby or child's upset, we think they're bored. So we do lots of entertaining and playing and um, look at a birdie. And, um, and that again, maybe that that's what we do for ourselves. When we have feelings bubbling up, we think, oh gosh, I need to go and scroll Facebook one more time what's going on on instagram today we may get really busy we may um, use those ways for ourselves so again we may interpret that that second reason in our child as being the first reason a need for entertainment and then what can often happen is the same thing whenever that child gets upset feelings that they want to express to us they go oh Wow, I need entertainment. Okay, play with me, play with me. Will you play with me? Will you play with me? And often this can end up with children who, um, you know, even at three or four or five, don't have any capacity to actually do some self-directed play on their own or in parallel with a parent or another child because the repression mechanism has become playing, being entertained. So another common one is um, movement. <coughs> excuse me so if we always get busy and move and or maybe go jogging or maybe um, just moving a lot when we're upset we may also do that to our babies and children when they have that second type of feeling again they make that interpretation so I think that can really help us understand when we ask them to disentangle this for our children um, why it's really important to to know what we're doing and to understand that we're helping them accurately label these sensations within myself you know when you're feeling that that actually doesn't mean that you're hungry or you um, need to be entertained that's actually sadness or that's frustration that's overwhelm that's outrage and we may not be saying that to them depending on their age but the way we listen to their feelings instead that helps them have that um, understanding between what's going in there inside the bodies and the feelings they're expressing and actually what that indicates so that's the first type of repression mechanisms that can happen and the way I like to see it is and let, no, let's talk about that later so the second type is 
um, repression mechanisms that they pick up themselves. And this is from when we either don't understand that they have feelings of that second type or we don't have the capacity. So this is so often the case because we live in this culture, it doesn't support parents, we so often feel overwhelmed and stretched. Most of us didn't have our feelings heard as children. So many times parents don't have the capacity to listen to their child's painful feelings. So in that case, children will absolutely sense that and will find their own repression mechanisms. So that might be sucking on their thumb or their fingers or twirling their hair or picking their nose or um, twiddling on um, a bit of their clothing or um, clutching onto a soft toy or a blanket you know anything that that's repetitive and often you can tell this is happening is if children tend to do these things when they're tired because when we're tired painful feelings bubble up and so if they're doing those things every time they're tired, that can indicate that might be a repression mechanism. Um, also, if maybe they fall over or they're clearly upset and they suddenly start to do the thing or ask for that thing, that can be another sign. Uh, this is a way they have developed themselves to repress uncomfortable feelings. So really for me, what a repression mechanism means, uh, so another one can be tensing muscles as well. It's a very common one in adults. Repression mechanisms are simply when there isn't available presence and understanding for the particular feelings to be felt by an adult, because for children they need an adult to be calm and relaxed and being able to have capacity for those feelings, then they will, they will need to repress the feelings. Children um, not feel these painful feelings on their own yes as they get older and they become teenagers and if they have been heard we start to internalize that capacity but um, children don't have that it's not an inbuilt thing that that um, that presencing it's the presence that makes the feeling safe it's that presencing that we're giving them to say this this feeling is welcome. This feeling is you feeling sad. I'm right here with you. I'm listening. It's our calm nervous systems and tone of voice and um, all those um, nonverbal things we're communicating that actually it's safe to feel this feeling. And I'm going to be here with you. And you can feel this feeling and move. The feeling will move through you and out the other side. And you're going to feel relaxed and calm again. They need that from us. That's a key essential part of this whole approach. And it's what differentiates it from other approaches which are about leaving children or babies alone crying and upset because they're going to simply develop repression mechanisms or dissociation because they don't have um, they don't have what they need, which is that signaling and that closeness and connection. That I'm here with you and it's safe to feel this. So by the way, if you have left your child or baby alone to cry, it's never too late to help them and to listen to those feelings from back then. So this approach is very compassionate. So on a general level, when we look at that, we've looked at the three types of feelings. We're still looking at number the second type. We've looked at uh, the two types of uh, repression that can happen, the ones they learn directly from us or the ones that they um, they develop themselves. And 
dissociation can be part of that the freeze you know that i'm not going to go into this in in detail but the way i like to think of it is if you think of repression mechanism so the one the one way to to not be with feelings because there isn't the capacity in the presence around is to to either focus on a sensation somewhere else which would be the entertainment it's taking the attention away any kind of distraction is taking attention away from the feeling that is there and putting that focus on to somewhere else so we're, what we're doing is we're helping children to take their attention away from what they're feeling in their bodies onto something else so it's it's they're kind of disconnecting with one sensation they may be then focusing on something else or on a different sensation so that's one of the things that can happen uh, another thing when they're tensing muscles for example or um, sucking on their thumb is that actually it prevents feelings from being felt in the body so muscle tension actually prevents the the experience of feeling feelings which is why it's such a common repression mechanism is we cannot feel the feelings when the muscles are tensing it actually prevents that flowing of feelings that's why jaw tension shoulder tension all the different kinds of tension that happen in different parts of the body if you're familiar with the work of Wilhelm Reich or um, any post-Reichian work around armoring you'll be very familiar with that but there's also dissociation or freeze which um, you know different in different paradigms but that's really a, a different thing happening which is really more about awareness leaving the body so it's not just focusing it on somewhere else in the body it's actually um, moving away from the body entirely so those can be quite different experiences and often dissociation of freeze tends to be if it's a more um, if the experience or the feelings are bigger experience is more intense or more frightening or if you use the word traumatic more traumatic that's more often um, likely to happen so what i love about this approach and aware parenting is really to understand that we can see and you know from my own experience with my own children and through working with thousands of parents is we can see the development of these pressure mechanisms from day to day we can see them developing and coming into place and for me the most important thing is having compassion for ourselves that we live in a culture that's very uncomfortable with feelings most of us uh, didn't have our feelings heard very much or at all as babies or children um, particularly our uncomfortable feelings so to really have compassion for us living in this culture with not not valuing parenting not support for parenting um, with all our own feelings that bubble up when we're when we're parents all our own childhood feelings bubbling up to be heard and valued and expressed all their own repression mechanisms and dissociation coming into play that this is not an easy thing to do so i'm all about profound compassion and really not expecting that your baby or child is going to have zero repression mechanisms but for me doing whatever we can to understand this and to increase our capacity to be with feelings in our bodies so we can increase our capacity to be with the feelings in our baby or child or children because that's really the main route is increasing our own capacity so that we can be with more of their feelings 
So for me, I have a profound respect for repression mechanisms and dissociation because they are used by the psyche when it's needed. And if it wasn't needed, then they wouldn't be there. So to really understand them and have a lot of respect and appreciation for them, you know, I don't think the human race would be here if we didn't have repression mechanisms and dissociation to understand their their use and um you know perhaps for many of us growing up in a culture where we where you, you might have been shamed or put in time out if you cry it's going to be very important and useful and protective to learn how to repress those feelings and of course because we're still learning and healing uh we're probably not going to be able to listen to 100% of our child's feelings. So I find it really helpful to remember, even if you are listening to your child's uncomfortable feelings, because so many parents come to me and say, but I am listening to their feelings and they still suck their thumb or they're still twirling my hair. It's to remember is whatever proportion of feelings you're not able to listen to, they will need to do something with their bodies in order to hold those feelings in. So you might be listening to 80% of their feelings, but for that 20%, they will still need to do something to prevent those feelings from, from being expressed. And that can be in subtle and not so subtle ways. So lots of compassion for us, for our own journey with our own repression mechanisms, our own, particularly for dissociation and freeze. You know, often we will need another adult to be with us who is comfortable with those feelings to help us increase our capacity so that we can give this to our children these are these can be um, really big things and what I want to say in terms of um, babies and children us is it really depends on the severity of the painful experiences we've experienced so it's kind of almost like an equation the more stress and painful experiences and if you use the word trauma trauma we've experienced uh, including unmet needs and all of those other things um that's the one part that's how many feelings get stored uh, also is impacted by our level of sensitivity how sensitive we are so highly sensitive babies and children adults will feel feelings more so have more feelings in response to the same situation which another baby or child or adult would have less feelings for so that's part of it and then there's kind of like a minus the minus the amount of feelings we can express with a loving adult who can be present with those feelings in their body with us equals the amount of um, feelings that are left in our bodies which you may then equate also to the amount of repression or dissociation we need to do so if we fast forward and we move into adulthood and we look at things like addiction, I don't really like the word addiction. I don't really use it. I don't use the word mental health. I really just talk about the simplicity of upset feelings and repression mechanisms is that the more emotional pain someone's experienced um, and the less those feelings have been heard by a loving adult, the more likely they're going to need to use big 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 repression or dissociation so for me when we look at things like um, the more severe you know for example alcohol or drugs that often those are when it's very you know lots and lots of painful feelings and and very little or no listening so what I really want to remind you is if your child sucks their thumb 
um, this does not mean they're going to go on and <laughs> be an alcoholic. It, it may mean they're going to keep on inviting you to listen to those feelings throughout their childhood. It may mean that the thumb sucking turns into nail biting, turns into um, chewing on the pencil if they go to school. But they are going to keep on giving you opportunities to understand and express those feelings. And for me, you know, even understanding what's going on for our child, even if we don't have the capacity to listen, but being compassionate about those repression mechanisms can make all the difference because I'm sure either you or you've maybe saw a friend when you were a child who perhaps um, bit their nails and perhaps you remember that they uh, their parents put on this horrible um, tasting stuff on their nails so that they couldn't bite their nails anymore or perhaps they were punished or shamed or perhaps uh, you or someone you knew sucked your thumb and you were punished or shamed for that. Or, you know, there are, there are very harsh responses to children's repression mechanisms. But even as adults, even if we don't have the capacity to listen to more feelings, but we have a compassionate understanding of what's going on for our child and what's really happening for them when they're constantly picking their nose or twirling their hair nonstop or... Um, picking their face or whatever the thing is that to me makes a profound difference too that compassionate understanding that what's happening is they've got painful feelings bubbling up and they're not um, unable to express them in that moment that's a wonderful thing and for the same for ourselves having compassionate understanding when we are doing any of these things like eating the whole block of chocolate or um, looking at Facebook five times a day or um, being really, really busy and making sure everything in the house is completely ordered all the time. You know, whatever your version, your repression mechanisms are, is for me, being deeply compassionate with ourselves around those is makes all the difference. Because if we have judgments around them or ourselves or our children around repression mechanisms, it only makes things harder. So I have deep respect for repression mechanisms and dissociation. When I'm working with adults, some of the most profound work has come. And I can remember times with clients where where we've gone in and I've, I've really thanked that repression mechanism for them. Thank you so much for looking after them, for being there when it wasn't safe for them to express that. And I really appreciate all the times that you've done that. And... And um, we're not trying to get rid of you or push you away. Thank you so much. It's been some of the most transformational experiences for people to to have this deep sense of loving appreciation for the repression mechanisms. And paradoxically, the more we can hold that, the freer they are to actually start dissolving away because they get that, that signal. Oh my gosh, there's so much capacity here to be compassionate with feelings, including the repression mechanisms. Um which aren't feelings, but, you know, for parts of us, then, wow, there's this capacity to, to be loving and spacious and compassionate. So maybe maybe I can uh, not pick my phone up again and actually feel the sadness in my body. And that's what I used to find when I was working with this in earlier times. I was often quite surprised because sometimes I was thinking, oh, gosh, if I, if I don't do this thing, I'm going to have all these big feelings. And sometimes, yes, there are big feelings sitting under there, but sometimes they're not. And I remember one of mine is uh, tends to be in the car if 
if something happens, you know, if someone comes close when I'm driving or something, I used to start to pick my face. That was one of mine. I used to have like hair twirling and and then I would start noticing, oh my gosh, look, I'm just about to do that. And I would connect in, what am I feeling? And I would simply connect in compassionately with myself. Oh, I'm and I have my inner loving mother, which is another part of my work, and I'd say, Oh sweetheart, you're feeling a Oh, you're feeling a bit worried when that car just nearly cut you off. And, oh, yes, I'm a bit worried. I was a bit scared. Oh, a little bit scared. I hear you. And that feeling could move through. Sometimes they aren't big feelings. Sometimes it's acknowledging it. And in the moment, that can be quite small things. And I found that the more I had the capacity, talking about increasing that capacity, the more I could listen to those little things that were showing up and really see that yes sometimes there are really big feelings sitting underneath the repression mechanism sometimes it's actually something quite small that when acknowledged can really move through and we and so this can be this beautiful dance and I have lots of ways of working with repression mechanisms for adults and for us with children so for example with children one of the beautiful ways I would deeply recommend is attachment play and uh, attachment play was developed by again by Letha Salter. She has a beautiful book um, called Attachment Play. I have free and paid courses on it as well. So that can be a beautiful way in, and that can be part of children receiving when they're when they're repressing feelings, receiving this sense of being unconditionally loved in that. Because often the reason they repress them is because either we or the culture didn't have the capacity to be with them. So it's not, you know, if we get frustrated and yes of course we need to be compassionate with ourselves but really understanding they you know they did that because of the environment that they were in it's not you know inherently we come into the world with the capacity to express feelings and it's it's how we met the environment we're met with which in our culture is generally not very accepting of feelings that we need to learn these ways to repress them so i think having that deeply compassionate approach really helps so attachment play so so helpful because when we can meet them you know if your child's sucking their thumb or we can meet them with loving compassion that gives them that sense of being deeply unconditionally loved however they're however they're feeling wherever they're behaving which again that's that paradox it actually means they're more likely to be able to express those feelings with us because they they have that sense of ah I'm loved even when I'm sucking my thumb, even when I'm picking my nose, even when I want to be on the screen again, even whatever the thing is. And having that same approach for us of that compassion. Oh, look, I want to have another chocolate. <laughs> oh, lovely repression mechanism. Welcome, welcome. So attach and play, they're a particular type of amazing, wonderful games that you can play with children around repression mechanism. I'll just share one briefly as I'm just coming to the end of this podcast. But for example, um, thumb sucking. So I once worked with a, a mama and her two children, both had thumb sucking repression mechanisms. And we did an in-person play session. And I played this one game with them over and over again for about 45 minutes which was simply, they were saying, I, I said to them, okay, can I have a go at sucking your thumb? And they'd be like, yeah, and I, I pretend, of course. And I say, so, oh, what flavour is it? Uh, strawberry, is it going to be strawberry this time? And they were like, yeah. And then I pretend to suck on their thumbs, which I didn't, of course. 
and of course it's your own child you might choose to and I'll go and then I'll go oh no that's not strawberry that's that's a tree flavor or that's poo flavor or that's um bogey flavor no and they would laugh and they would laugh and not all the touch and play works with all children by the way so this won't work with all children but then and then we do it again I said okay you're not going to do you're not going to do that again are you what flavor is it this time they'd be like oh you know vanilla oh vanilla yummy I can't wait and then I'd do the same again no that's that's you know whatever think of some horrible flavor no and I laugh and laugh and laugh so we did it over and over and over again and they laughed continuously for 45 minutes and then um and the, the mama came because they they were both doing this a lot and not releasing the feelings to crying and then after 45 minutes one of the children just went into the big big cry so I stayed with the other child and the mama's there with the child who's crying had a big cry and let out some big feelings they'd been through a lot as a family had a big lovely gorgeous cry and just felt so calm and relaxed afterwards so there's one example and there are many 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 ways that we can use attach and play what touch and play does is it provides both connection but also laughter releases the lighter feelings that often sit uh, on top of the deeper ones that come out more through crying and raging so that it helps it's like a pressure cooker helps some of those lighter feelings come out so that the deeper ones can come out too and we can use attach and play with ourselves as well as adults so I think that's all I wanted to say. So summary, it's been a big one this one, isn't it? I wonder how you're feeling. I want to let you know, very normal and natural to feel some feelings around this. These are big subjects, big topics. Um, so in summary, there are three types of feelings. Um, in babies and children, it's usually the first two that are most common. Uh, if we don't understand that second type and we think it's either the, the needs feelings or we have other perhaps judgments or we don't understand that second type and we try to distract our child they learn ways of repressing feelings they also um, develop their own methods if we don't understand or don't have the capacity to listen so there are many many uh, I did want to say uh, almost anything can be a repression mechanism so almost any behavior, and it's usually through the way the behavior is used. So again, when someone's tired, when they're clearly upset, mm. when it's something's asked for in a very agitated tone, that can be another sim um, symptom. So almost anything can be used to repress feelings. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, freeze and dissociation and the difference between dissociation and repression. Uh, we talked a lot about compassion, so really having a deep compassionate and appreciation for repression mechanisms in our children and ourselves and how we can help those repression mechanisms be released, particularly through compassion, connection, attachment play, and sometimes we can set loving limits as well. I'm not going to go into that now. Um, I would recommend that really only through um, if you have more one-on-one -on -one support or more deeper understanding of working with these but we can set loving limits but I would always recommend the compassionate connection the attachment play first to listen to the underlying feelings so thank you so much for listening uh, if you want to learn more as I say my website's marianrose.net I do have some free courses around these things so the free things would be 
the free intro to making friends with children's feelings. I have a free intro to attachment play. I have an ebook called uh, Babies Have Real Feelings. Um, I think those would be the main ones. In terms of our own feelings, you might like. Um, I have some ebooks around my inner loving presence process. Um, which you may enjoy and then in terms of courses I would really recommend my making friends with children's feelings course an uh, attachment play course uh, where parenting babies course and the inner loving presence process for us as adults uh, a little dogs here snoring if you can hear some snoring that's not me <laughs> thank you so much for listening so much love to you and I look forward to connecting with you in the next podcast